Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hi, everybody. I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylog. Thank you for joining us. So let's get started. In today's study, we will be looking into how God defines hope for the believer. Now, you might ask yourself these questions as you listen. Is having hope similar to having faith? Doesn't everyone have hope? Or is God trying to tell us something different altogether? Well, we'll give you a hint and tell you it really all hinges on reading Scripture in context. And we believe you'll be very surprised at what we find out as we dive in and explore what creates real hope. Can't wait, Andy. Let's listen now to the Word of God. A reading from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, also, we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That was Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Before attempting to interpret scripture, we always use the SPACE method. SPACE is an acronym we created to remind Bible students to consider the speaker, SP, the audience, A, and the context, C, before attempting the explanation, letter E. So let's use this SPACE method here on today's scripture reading. Okay, so as we heard, the speaker is the Apostle Paul. Um, verse 1 introduces him as the author. It says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So the Apostle Paul reminds his readers that he was called and set apart by Christ Jesus. And even though Paul wasn't an original disciple, he did meet Jesus on the road to Damascus and was taught, as we've heard before, through a revelation of Jesus Christ in the Arabian desert for three years. Okay, so now moving on to the audience. The audience here is the church at Rome. During Paul's introduction, he specifically calls out the church by name, so we know that it's to the Romans. Yeah, I mean, really, um, we've talked about the Romans letter before, and it was sort of everything that Paul would want to tell a church were he to go there and pass them in person. So he didn't have a chance to because of various things preventing him, obviously wasn't part of God's plan. 
So he wrote this letter to sort of encapsulate all Pauline doctrine, if you will. So it's really a great epistle to study if you want to know everything that Paul was teaching churches at that time and what he had taught many of the churches that he personally founded. Very good point. And that takes us to see context, and that's going to be a key part of today's lesson. In order to understand the context of today's verses, we need to look carefully at the key points mentioned by Paul in the prior chapter, if you want to take us through that, Andy. Yeah, so let's start with chapter 4. Now, chapter 4 in Romans is the foundation by which chapter 5 statements by Paul are built on. The fourth chapter provides scriptural evidence by Paul by using Old Testament to justify that salvation is by faith alone, or justification in God's eyes is by faith alone. Now, Abraham is his main example, and we see in Romans 4, 3 to 5 that it reads, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Yes, and the Apostle Paul goes on to quote David in chapter 4, verses 7 to 8, and that says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. According to Romans 4.10, Abraham was credited by God as having righteousness because of the faith he had before his circumcision, essentially. And the parallel Paul is making to the church is for us to compare this statement to our salvation before we ever had a chance to perform any works. Right. So, I mean, as an example, Jordan, you know, we look at today, probably the closest thing that what the Jews did back then to circumcision, which was kind of like the introduction of their child into the, you know, Judaism was, was obviously the circumcision and it was their way of kind of a symbolic cleansing of that child and setting him apart from the Gentiles, right? And you could kind of say that today is, is similar to baptism because the point that Paul's trying to make here regarding Abraham is that what made them different was that Abraham and anybody who followed Abraham made sure that they were circumcised. Now, you know, how you could prove that unless someone was inspecting those people at the time, you couldn't, but at least they could go about saying that they were circumcised. In other words, that was their work of telling the world, hey, I'm a Jew, I'm a Hebrew, I'm a Jew because I'm circumcised. Today, it's similar to what we see when people, once they become Christian, you know, feel led by the Holy Spirit to say, hey, I'm water baptized. Then Paul goes on to explain in Romans 4.14 that those who believe in following a covenant of works for salvation are actually making faith to be void, that's the term he uses, and the promise nullified. Right, Jordan. Romans 4.24 tells us that Abraham's exercising of his faith in God's word to him was written and documented not only for Abraham's credit, but also for Christians today who will receive credit for this as well. In other words, who believe in him, the Father, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So the point there being that exercising faith basically means, hey, look, this is what I believe in. I stand on this and I rest in this. And what Paul is telling us in Romans 4.24 is that God is going to keep track of that. God keeps a record of it and it goes to, it credits our bank account, spiritual bank account, if you will. And, you know, Abraham's bank account was credited when he had faith in God's word. And the same entails today. The same goes on to Christians today. Once you accept what God's word says, in God's eyes, in a court of law to God, it's credited to us as our salvation. Okay, and finally, our last piece of context, Romans 4.25, you know, the Apostle Paul sums up his foundational argument that faith alone leads to salvation 
by explaining that Jesus Christ died as payment for our sins and was raised again to signify that we are justified in God's eyes in the heavenly court of law, if you will. Very good, Jordan. So let's move on now. Now that we know who the speaker is, who the audience is, and the context of our scripture reading, let's do our best to attempt an explanation. And the key to understanding today's scripture reading is us realizing that chapter 5 of Romans is predicated on our comprehension of Paul's case points in chapter 4. Without this, we can grossly misinterpret what God is trying to teach us. Good point. So let's take an exegetical approach today, Jordan, of breaking down Romans 5, 1 through 5. An ex, an ex of what? Can you define that for our audience? Well, it's just a, it's a, a, a special word that biblical theologians use. It's a, it's a style of looking into God's Word. So in comparison, eisegetical would be the opposite of exegetical. Eisegesis would be if you and I looked at one specific verse and then tried to apply that verse to our life right. and try to, you know, make that, you know, the foundation of, let's say, a, a lesson or teaching because we feel that it applies to politics today or family life today. That would be more of an eisegetical teaching. Exegetical, on the other hand, is, is a more scholarly approach. And since we're trying to not take out of God's Word what we want it to say, but we actually want to receive from God what His points are— that would be just a, it's, it's a high word. It's yeah, a, a special I always, word that's used. I always think of it because X means out. So it's really yeah. trying to take out of God's word what God intended, as yeah. opposed to reading in, which is the eisegesis, reading into God's word what you want it to mean. It's a more, exactly. It's a more conservative approach, trusting God that anything we want to know about the Bible, it's in there for us. We don't need to add to God's word. Right. We could take, if we, if we make the effort and search hard enough, we're going to find out all the answers we have in life are actually in the Bible. We just got to dig and find it. And it's there. It's always there. Okay, great. So let's engage in some exegesis. Yeah. So let's start with verse one, right? We're going to look at verse one. I'm going to read it through. And then maybe together we can kind of break it down point by point for our listener. Okay. Um, verse one, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't you start out, Jordan? Okay, so the first thing I notice is having been justified. So that's past tense. It refers to our past tense salvation, um, first salvation, however you want, a salvation of the Spirit. We use many different terms for it, but it's saying that's something that happened in the past. And, and by faith is um, different from works. I think we uh, probably should discuss that as well. Yeah, so, I mean, going back to your very first point, it's, this, this is connected. So having been justified, meaning that we were saved already. Paul's right. making a point. You're already saved. We're saved. Let's move on. But the key point is that it's by faith, right? So we think of foundational scriptures like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which says, which Paul wrote again, salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. So we know here, first of all, he's starting out in verse 1 saying, you know, having been justified by faith, you know, that's, that's his first point. And then moving on to the next point, I'll bring that up. We have peace. And peace is an ongoing, just so you know, in this particular instance, peace in definition is an ongoing reconciliation and truce. And who's in context here is the believer and God, right? Because we know even in Romans, God shows us in Scripture that at one point we were enemies of God because of our sin. We were separated from God because of our sin. But Jesus, the second Adam, came and reconciled us by paying for the penalty of sin, which is death. And now we have that free gift, which is everlasting life. So 
Again, to kind of reiterate, having been justified by faith, we have peace. And then moving on, Jordan. Yeah, and then we have the last part, which is through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only way to have accomplished that. Uh, he's our propitiation, is the word, uh, again, another theological word. But, you know, we see in First John 2, 2, that it says, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the entire world, the whole world. Yeah, so propitiation, Andy, what, what, what is the better way to look at that word? Can we simplify that? Sure. Well, basically, Jesus was our substitute, probably the best word to use to kind of replace propitiation. He went to the court in God's house in heaven, and he stood up in court and said, I'm guilty, Father, and, and not only for you and I, because we're believers, but for the entire world. So there's a misnomer out there that people believe, whether you're a Christian or not, that if you believe in hell, and if there is a hell, that people go to hell because of their sin. But it's verses like this that support a different theory. And that theory is that people go to hell, or they're separated from God, because they don't accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and the only way to God the Father, or the way to, to heaven, because Jesus Christ paid it all. Sin itself as we know it, and the penalty of sin, is paid for. Right. Yeah, so this verse is really loaded, Andy. There's so many things that we found in it, and I just wanted to jump back to one thing, and that's the phrase justified by faith, because I realize, you know, we, when we talk about the three salvations, which can get very confusing, there, sometimes we'll talk about it in terms of justification, sanctification, glorification, or sometimes justification, qualification, glorification, to, des- to describe the three types of salvation. And here we have justified by faith, which is a nice, succinct way to say, what, the, what sal- first salvation is and how it's accomplished by faith only, not works, as you said. But you could also sort of, as a mirror or second step, add to that sanctification by works. So when you're talking about even the first two salvations, just justified by faith, sanctified or qualified by works, that if you can remember those two phrases, you, you've got a really good handle on you know, the, the two types of salvation that, um, that we're going to be constantly talking about here. Yeah, for sure. And we're actually going to see that as we read on in these verses that Paul alludes to this too. Um, And I'll pick up on verse 2. I'll read verse 2 now. And again, we're going to exegetically break down these verses and see how they're like chock full of information here that God is giving us. So verse 2 reads, Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. So there's a lot going on here, and you've got to be really careful. I mean, you've got to use a laser to, to separate these words. So we're going to start with the first words, through whom, and that's pretty simple. So we know that the whom here is speaking of Jesus Christ. That's through whom that, you know, we have peace with God. And then moving on, little word like also, also. So we see that the reason why God put that word in there, and yes, even those little words are critical. It's added to show that something could be added to salvation, that there's probably something more that Paul is going to introduce here. Yeah, and, and again, we want to be careful about phrases like added to salvation. There's nothing that needs to be added to justification by faith. It was Jesus paid it all. Right. It's obviously going to be alluding to something, the next step, if you will, the next level. Exactly, exactly. And it says, we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace by which we stand. And here the word stand is a key word because it's a work, right? It's requiring ongoing action for a specific purpose, standing. It's not rest. You know, the concept of rest in the Bible speaks to the finished work of Jesus Christ and faith, because we can just rest in what he did. 
Standing now, we're talking about an action, a work, and that's how we're starting to make this transition to the next level. Yeah, and it's also important that everybody remembers that any type of works we do perform for God, as we continue to study this, keep it in the back of your mind, it still requires faith. Right. It's not like, you know, we become Christian and we decide, okay, so now I'm going to go to church and I'm going to serve in some type of capacity, and that's my works. And you might do it begrudgingly, or it might not be your calling. You know, you might say, uh, and I'm not saying anyone specifically, but just generally speaking, somebody might say, you know what, I, I wouldn't mind, you know, being on the choir. I, I played drums and when I was in high school, I would be great at that. But if it's not, believe it or not, if it's not God's leadership and calling for you to do that, there might be something different that you never even thought of, Right. you know, that you might be a, a speaker or, you know, you might be a, you know, maybe like a, a youth group leader, or you might even be someone who's just an usher, whatever God's will is. So, but the key point I wanted to make here is that any work we do, even standing, in grace and standing in the position we're in now as we develop requires faith. It requires us to trust that God will carry out his plan for us. Right. And and to emphasize your point, whenever we talk about this, I always think of the Apostle Paul's master builder analogy. It's that foundation of the of the structure that's Jesus Christ, that's faith in Jesus Christ. That you, to so to build on it, you need a foundation. And if you didn't have faith, you wouldn't have a foundation. He's the rock we stand on, for sure. And then, you know, some other words, Andrew, like we exalt, you know, um, that means that a believer should feel jubilation and joy. And what are, what are we exalting in? Uh, joy is a result of what? Well, it says, hope of the glory of God. And these are really key words that the Apostle Paul uses. Yeah, they're words that um, obviously via the Holy Spirit, and it's there to introduce what might accompany our salvation or everlasting life. So there's a couple key things here that when I did my study, I found, Jordan is that this hope of the glory of God Paul's talking about is his view into a time when Jesus Christ will come back to rule and reign. It's him hoping to see Jesus no longer, you know, on like possibly the back of a horse coming into Jerusalem, getting ready to be prepared and, and become the sacrificial lamb. No, now he's hoping for Jesus to come back in all his glory. And that's, that's the hope that he's specifically talking about in this particular verse. Now, there's something more we're going to see in later verses. Okay, so let's move on then. Verse 3, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. So not only this suggests that there's more, as you suggested, and we also exult in our tribulations. It's a, it's a very strange phrase because who would be, you know, who would have jubilation about trials and tribulations? But um, there's a specific reason why uh, he puts it that way, and uh, maybe you can talk a little about what that is. Yeah, like you said, exactly. I mean, it's it's hard to imagine that Paul would be, you know, have jubilation, for instance, with him or his entourage, or even for the reader today. Like, I thought that being a Christian, life was going to be better and easier, and I'm going to take the high road, and I'm going to stay out of trouble, and things will be okay now. You know, I used to be in the world, and I was always falling into, you know, different horrible situations. But now that I'm a Christian, I'm walking the straight and narrow, things are going to be better. That's not what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying that we see a progression. Uh, you're going to see steps of growth, and that's what he's introducing. Remember, always keep in mind as we do the study today, listeners, that in chapter 4, he was building the foundation, like you said, Jesus Christ being the rock, Jesus is the foundation of our faith, and he was confirming that our salvation is everlasting. So now he's introducing something more, and now we're starting to get into a meat of it. And what we see here, first of all, is that Paul is saying, oh, and by the way, 
we're so excited of all these tribulations that we get. And what Paul is trying to do is, is let the readers know, the Romans know, that as you develop and as you mature as a Christian, it's part of God's plan. This tribulation is not the tribulation from the devil or from Satan or the attack or whatever you think it might be. No, this is God's way of, I guess you could say, basic training to kind of temper us and train us to go through difficult times. And this is also, I believe, God's way of separating the wheat from the chaff. Yeah, so the first thing you mentioned is perseverance, which is this whole concept that we used to talk about maybe in the 80s of no pain, no gain. So in, in order to start to gain, you, 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 need to, you need to suffer that pain of tribulation. And, and its first step is to learn how to persevere, which means to just persist despite setbacks and pain and, and things like that. Exactly. And then he moves on in verse 4. He adds proven character and proven character hope. So perseverance, proven character, proven character hope. These things are, help us to sustain our integrity and create character as Christians and also give power to our witness to others. Yeah, that's a great point, Jordan. I think that, you know, it's, it's very critical that I'm sure many of us at one point have, not, once we start to grow into Christianity, we realize that it's more than just about ourselves. Now that we, we are secure in our salvation and we start to dive into the Bible and get a better understanding that the Holy Spirit in us calls us to want to do something about it, to tell the world, to shout from the mountaintop. But in order for us to have a strong witness to family members, to friends, to complete strangers. We have to have some type of proven character, which eventually leads into having integrity, right? We're not going to fall apart. We're not going to fall into the world, you know, just because the, we hear the enemy tempting us to do something that we, we would used to do before we were Christians. No, it's, it's through this perseverance of being consistent that leads us to have proven character, which is our way of, of judging ourselves and, and seeing what our level of integrity is, how strong we've become as we mature. Yeah, and like you, like you were suggesting, it gives you that higher level of credibility when you go out and witness or even lead yes. other Christians. Whereas, you know, we, we see a lot of hypocrisy in the world. We see a lot of people that say one thing and teach one thing and then do another, and they really hurt God's cause. Whereas, you know, the Apostle Paul is suggesting when we prove our character, we become much better uh, examples for him. And then, you know, uh, the end of that is this word hope again, and we're getting into that second type of hope that you were alluding to. Yeah. Um, verse 5 says, And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Um, hope does not disappoint, Dandy. What, what do you make of that? Well, again, for our, you made a great point, right? This is a different hope from the earlier verses where Paul is excited about the hope of glory when Jesus comes back. Now, this specific word hope is the hope that Christians often talk about, that they even sometimes confuse faith with hope or try to make it the same. I know we've talked about this many times in the past. Faith is something that we rest in. Right. It's when we have faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross, we have faith. We rest. We can lay down, relax, and know that Jesus did it all. Hope, on the other hand, is not something that we know for sure. It's something that might or might not occur. So as all, when you add all these things that Paul has brought out today— you'll see that it equates to how to receive hope. You've got to grow through these different levels, right? And then one of the last levels is your proven character, your integrity. And once you know that you've been through the mill as a Christian, that now you say to yourself, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of proud of myself. I handled that situation a lot better than I thought of maybe years ago when I was a younger Christian. And that's what produces hope. Now, the, the purpose of that hope is basically that, you know what, there's something more to Christianity. And the key point is 
not to misunderstand what the hope is. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Please visit us online at motk.org, and we'll see you next time. God bless everybody. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Mysteries of the Kingdom, Incorporated.